that was thought impossible, and it would ultimately lead to the downfall of life as they knew it. But a group of men and women spent the span of their lives fighting for the abolition of the slave trade from their respective corners of society. For many of them, the gospel of Jesus Christ was the catalyst and reason for the fight. Most famously stands William Wilberforce, the member of parliament and champion of the controversial legislation that would lead to slavery's demise. Among his ranks, however, stands Hannah Moore, often forgotten or overlooked by history. Her weapon was the pen. Earlier in her life, Moore found success and favor within society as a playwright. But when the gospel took a hold of her heart, her attentions began to shift away from the delights of high society and on to Jesus Christ. She turned her pen from charming audiences to encouraging a mass change of heart. Through poetry, pamphlets, and books, Moore set out to persuade the population. The opposition came in question of her character, genuineness, and even sexual morality and more extreme libel attacks. And even so, Moore spent nearly 45 years in the abolition efforts and lived just long enough to see it pass. Moore's reputation was further degraded following her death, and today her name is hardly known or praised. But this abolitionist, poet, and educator stood firm in the gospel, and while history may overlook or forget her, the righteous will never be moved. She will be remembered forever. Amen. Let me hear your hands if you love the Lord this morning. One of the great wrongs of our nation was addressed when we eliminated slavery in our country. Come on. And I share Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream that a day will come that has not come yet, that people will be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. We're not there yet. But Jesus came to break down the middle wall of partition so that we would be one blood-washed people of God someday singing around the throne. Thank God for people who are willing to take a stand regardless of what that cost them, what price they had to pay. So Ephesians tells us to stand, therefore, when we're faced with challenges or battles or questions that we would take a stand. But that phrase prior is the one that really captured me at the start of this year, having done everything to stand. Have we? Have we done everything to stand? This world is filled with confusion and chaos. And pastoring today or running a business today or even going to the job today is filled with such unsettledness and turmoil. I told someone the other day, it's looking more and more attractive to be a Walmart greeter than about anything else we're doing in our world. It's so confusing. And with the political upheaval, with the um, health upheaval, with all of, the, all of the moorings that are being ripped away, I believe if there ever was a time, and there has been times, crucial times, this is one of those for the church to take a stand. And there are times that you're going to have to take a stand. So are you ready for that to happen? Have you prepared yourself for that moment? And we talked first. First question is, have you prayed? That prayer becomes a foundation for you to hear from God and talk to God and prepare yourself to take a stand. Second, have you fasted? Now, that doesn't mean you have to fast all the time or for everything, but it becomes part of, it becomes part of Christian discipline was really encouraged to have a story shared with me this week of a family that decided to practice fasting and hectic lifestyle. They end up eating out a lot because of the pace of life and they decided that they would stop eating out and take that money and do something for the kingdom. That's a fast and generosity rolled into one. And so they'll be giving a, 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 a nice donation to speed the light because fasting needs to be part of our discipline. Your spirit cannot be free if your flesh isn't bound. So have you prayed? Have you fasted? And third, this is the one that always gets controversial. 
This is the one that riles people up. This is the one where people accuse my motivation. This is the one that you need most of all. Have you given? Have you given? I knew you'd get here. I love you too much to ignore the primacy of biblical giving. Biblical giving isn't about paying the bills. It's about you walking in the blessing and power of God and making it to heaven. Greedy people aren't going to heaven. Hallelujah. I thought I'd just kind of rough you up a little bit and then we can coast from here on. Is that all right? Have you given? Now, Jesus mentions in Matthew 6, three primary disciplines. When you pray, when you fast, and when you give. And the thing that you have to understand about your money is your money is a piece of you. If you work for your money or if you inherit it, it becomes a part of you. Um, my wife works at a place that does hobbies in the lobby. And people have asked, so does all of your money go into the store? And she has a great perspective because it's not about how much it costs. It's how much time did I put in here in order to make that purchase? See, that thing's not X number of dollars. It's three hours of work. Hello? Come on, are you hearing me right now? Because your money is a piece of you. When I was in Bible college, I've shared this story a lot, but it really uh, rattled me. I worked at a, at, a, at a spot welding factory, and we put wire and jigs, wire welding, spot welding, wire and jigs, run them through, and you got paid extra for piecework. And uh, boy, it was boring. So I would put scriptures up on the top of my spot welder so that I could memorize. And a backslidden, a sums of God lady came up to me and chewed me out and uh, said I didn't have a right to do that. And I thought, well, my religious rights are being challenged here because the other guys can put up other things. How many know what I'm talking about? They weren't biblical. Well, they were, never mind. And she said, when you work here, we bought you we didn't buy you to think we bought you to work it was pretty harsh but I thought that's really true we entered into a contractual relationship that I would give them of my time in order to be compensated for my labor so then what I do with that money is a reflection of who I am because it is in that sense a part of my identity is anybody walking with me this morning? I knew it'd get quiet, not just because it was cold. Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven. And we need to have our finances in biblical order if we want to do all to stand. If we want to do all to stand, you need to pray, you need to fast, and you need to give. You need to give in biblical order, in biblical fashion. And I want to give you three reasons why it matters when you take a stand, why your giving matters. Because number one, giving demonstrates where your loyalties lie. Giving demonstrates where your loyalties lie. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, the text about giving, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There is a direct correlation between what you do with your resources and what happens when you get to heaven. In other words, we're laying up treasure on the other side. He said, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. What does it really mean to lay up treasure in heaven? So glad you asked because I was reading in the book of Acts about a centurion by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is what we would call a God-fearer. He worshiped the God of Israel, but had not yet been exposed to his son, Jesus Christ. But he was a faithful man. The Bible says this about Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. 
He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your gifts have come up as a memorial offering before God. How do you get it up into heaven? You give it in a godly way, generously, and after biblical order on planet Earth. And when you give in biblical fashion and you pray and you fast, that lays up treasure on the other side. How many are hearing me this morning? You want to invest in the kingdom? You do it by giving. You do that by handling your finances in an appropriate way. Storing up treasure in heaven. Your treasure, let me say it this way, your giving and your heart live in the same place. Your giving and your heart live in the same place. (laughs) So... So, if you give more to your hobby than you do to God's kingdom, your heart is in your hobby. Now, I'm not suggesting you wait out that way because there's biblical parameters for that. But I serve on the board at Trinity uh, Bible College in graduate school. And one of the things they really, really emphasize or trying to emphasize are engaging the alumni. Those who have graduated from the school that would show their loyalty to the school, that will show that they're concerned about the ongoing future of the school. And how do you do that? You do that with your giving. If alumni are not giving to support the school, what they're communicating is they don't really care if it prospers or continues or not. Alumni that value the school will give to the school. Is that making sense to you? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I serve on the board of trustees and in the, watch this, in the accrediting association, you know one of the factors is whether a college stays accredited? Sure, it's the academics. It's the schooling process. It's all of those other places. But one of the things that they measure is how much money do the trustees give to maintain the school? Because if the trustees value the school, they're going to put their treasure, and where they put their treasure, their heart will follow. How many are hearing me this morning? Okay? So it shows where your loyalties lie. If... You attend Berean, and you want to see Berean continue and prosper and grow. You will be financially vested in what happens here. Because Jesus said it, I didn't. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And nobody didn't say. He didn't say, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Because he knows how we're wired. Where you put your money, your heart's going to follow. Where you invest, your emotions are going to follow. And if you're vested in the kingdom and you're loyal to the kingdom, and it matters to you when you take a stand that you're represented, of the kingdom, your money speaks loudly about your loyalty. Hallelujah. Well, this will be fun. How important is this? Well, I was reading in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and uh, David, King David, was a character. How many know that? When you find he was a character, he was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a character. And he's running from Saul, hiding from Saul, and he takes refuge in the land of the Philistines in a city called Ziklag. And what he's doing while he's in Ziklag is he's, he's, he's engaging in these undercover operations against the, the Philistine nations that are against the nation of Israel. And he doesn't want Achish to king of the Philistines, I should have said the pagan nations, the king of the Philistines, to know what's going on. So when they go into an Amalekite city or somewhere like that, they have to kill everybody. 
So no word gets back to Achish. So do you see what's happening? I mean, that's a little tricky. Got that? How many are following the story? He's running from Saul, hiding in the Philistines and killing the pagans. It's quite a, quite a double agent kind of position. Well, a day comes that Achish wants to test his loyalty. And he's going to go up against Israel and he says, David, you're going to fight with me. Now that's going to put David in a bad spot because he's going to have to go with Achish and fight against the nation of Israel. That's a huge problem. How's he going to get out of this? Well, the commander of the armies of the Philistines said to Achish, we can't trust him. He's an Israelite. And you get in the heat of the battle when we fight Israel... When we fight against Israel, his loyalties are going to turn and he's going to attack us. We can't afford the risk. It's too important a battle. So they send him home, back to Ziklag, because they came to do battle. You know what happens when they get back to Ziklag? One of those nations figured out who was conducting the raids. And they move into Ziklag and they burn his city down, the city down. They take the, men, the boys and the girls and the women all captive. And David's army wants to destroy him because they've trusted him and now they've lost everything. And this seems as though there's no hope and no answer for the problem. But they find a slave alongside the road, an Egyptian who's been left for dead. And David says to him, Alongside the road, this is the key. To whom do you belong? Because everything in that moment matters on that Egyptian's loyalties. And he said, I'm an Egyptian. I'm a slave of an Egyptian. And I got sick. And they left me alongside the road to die. Let me tell you this morning. That if your loyalties lie anywhere except in the kingdom, that king that you serve will leave you along the side of the road to die. There's only one king, only one kingdom that will carry you through your difficult times, and his name is Jesus. So how will we know? He said, look, if you won't kill me and you'll let me live, you see, found out what his king was about. He said, I will take you right where they are. I know where they're going. My loyalties are no longer with them. They're with you. And he leads them into battle and they're able to bring everybody back home because someone said, I'm changing kingdoms. He put his allegiance. When you're put to the test and you have to take a stand, that question will be asked. To whom do you belong? Where do you really have your loyalties? Where are you truly invested? And it'll take more than a story about where you are there'll need to be some evidence that your allegiance is to the kingdom of God and Jesus said your allegiance in this world one of the primary measuring rods of your allegiance to God and his kingdom is what you do with your money you're going to invest in what you believe in it'll show where your allegiance is when you take a stand will you have that kind of I'm backing. I was thinking about that question, to whom do you belong? And uh, some of you know the name Stephen Colbert. How many of you know who Stephen Colbert is? Good, I'm glad not anybody else does. Stephen Colbert was on Saturday Night Live and he made a career as a comedian over playing the role of a conservative evangelical. And he would say things that the evangelicals, the conservatives would say, oh yeah, oh wow, that's, that's incredible. He would sum it up and it was filled with satire and sarcasm, but he's, he was almost believable. But then Stephen Colbert got his own show and the conservative evangelical character died. And we have seen who he really belongs to. And that's a radical left-wing agenda. To whom do you belong? Well, I come to church. No, I said, to whom do you belong? Well, I raise my hands. No, to whom do you belong? Well, I brought someone with me. No, to whom do you belong? Where's your allegiance? Where is your loyalty? And it will show and where you're investing your resources. Giving solidifies your stand. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says 
that if you serve two masters, your eyes will be full of darkness. And he's been talking about money and treasure. And he says, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't serve money. Really? Really? Let me see your, let me see your, I used to say your checkbook, but I can't say that anymore. Let me see your balance sheet. Let me see where your money's going because that will tell me to whom you belong and whom you serve. Listen, don't, don't get mad at me here because I am, I'm just going to wave my flag. I'm a political conservative. Um, I'm an economic capitalist, just so you know. I believe in capitalism, but I don't believe that capitalism is a biblical value. I believe the kingdom of God can stand in a communist system or a socialist system and go on down the line. But there is a weakness in the capitalist system, if we'd be honest, it builds a culture of greed. The weakness of capitalism, and I believe in the system, economic system compared to everything else that's out there. Don't misunderstand me. But everything has a weakness, and one of the weaknesses is building a culture of greed. This is mine. I worked for it. I own it. You can't take it away. You can't serve God and money. And where you invest it shows where your loyalties lie. How many are ready for this sermon to be over? How do you break that dominion? I used to joke that the Bible says that, that God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful means hilarious. And I've often thought in the days when we had, um, when we had checks, so this wouldn't work as well now because some of you still have checks, a lot of people don't, we'd have to do it a different way. But I've wanted all my life to do a hilarious offering. I really have. And here's how it would work. You would take your checkbook and give it to your neighbor. Not your spouse, but your neighbor. And they'd write out the amount they think you ought to give. Wouldn't that be hilarious? That'd be hilarious. I just love that idea. In fact, I think you ought to just put blank checks in the offering and we will decide what you ought. No, I'm totally joking about that. And some of you just about had a coronary when I said that. And it shows where your loyalties lie. What's got a hold of you? God can break that hold by your giving. It solidifies your stand. Second, you might not think about this, but giving sets a hedge of protection around you. Not only does it demonstrate to whom you belong, where your loyalties are, it puts a hedge of protection around you. Malachi chapter 3 verse 11 says about tithing. And again, is it okay with you if I preach the whole of scripture and not just the safe portions? Is that all right with you? Do you know in Malachi, God's dealing with them? After Malachi, there's 400 years of silence. And God says to the nation, you have robbed me. And they say, how have we robbed you, God? Because you've not paid your tithes and given offerings. You've robbed me. And then he goes on to talk about what happens when you do the right thing with your resources. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Tithing is the beginning of generosity, not the goal. It's the starting place, not the destination. And people say to me regularly, oh, pastor, you're so legalistic. Listen, tithing was under the law. Can I answer that? Thank you, seeing no objections. Tithing didn't start under the law. Do you know where tithing started? It started under Abraham. Do you know in the New Testament, every believer is called a son of Abraham? People of faith are children of Abraham. Hold up your hands if you at least understand the words I'm using. And there's a priest 
who had neither father nor mother nor beginning of days that appears in the Old Testament, and his name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a priest that Hebrews tells us is the priesthood that Jesus is part of because Jesus wasn't of the tribe of Levi and he can't be our high priest except for this priest that shows up in Abraham, the father of the faithful. We are children of Abraham and Melchizedek launches a new priestly line ordained by God and Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. What did Abraham, the father of the faithful, do when he met Melchizedek, who is the priest of God? Abraham paid tithe of all that he possessed to Melchizedek. What is that? Let me say it this way. What happened in picture in the Old Testament, before the law, believers paid tithe to the kingdom of God in typology in that section. So don't, don't tell me it's under law. It was before the law. What the law did is it articulated tithing so that we would know exactly what to do. I've heard people say things like, well, I, I tithe 5%. No, you gave five and stole five, but tithing is 10%, hello? Come on, someone help me this morning. This is getting a little rough up here. The temperature's dropping. I'm just saying to you, it's, somebody ought to be shouting. How many of you know the blessing of tithing and the joy of tithing and the victory and the freedom of that? Yeah, it's all wrapped up in that. Tithing is 10%. And people will say to me, well, I'm on a fixed income. Well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't write exceptions to scripture. And if I'm on a fixed income, I want to give God my 10% because he can unfix my fixed income and bless my life. And I need a hedge of protection around me that will protect me from the devourer not against everything that ever happens but protection from the devourer tithing is where it starts 10 percent of our income given to god is that on my net or on my gross if we have to argue that you don't have a generous heart you know it's like my tithe was $137.12. Wow. You don't have a generous heart. Because you'd cut that penny in half if you could. I need a half penny back. <laughs> it's tithe that offering. And God will rebuke the devourer. Put a hedge of protection around. Doesn't mean nothing bad will happen to you. But there are things that will come to devour your income. It's like putting your money in a bag with holes and it all runs out. He will put a hedge around you. Watch this. Jesus again is teaching in Luke 16 about money. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves of unrighteous mammon. He's talking about money in the whole context there. Unrighteous mammon, what does that, what, how do you make friends of that? If you use money right, it can bless you and others. If you use it wrong, it'll curse you and others. So make money your friend. Use it in the right way. And then he goes on to say, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the other and despise the, the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon and when the pharisees heard all these things they derided him why because they were lovers of money the bible says they were lovers of money when you tithe god will rebuke the devourer who will come and consume your blessing again it doesn't mean you won't have struggles or troubles it means that there's a hedge of protection around you that's not there otherwise it removes the curse of greed and protects from unjust loss there's a claim a promise that you can hold to and we may never know how many devourers we've been protected from was driving yesterday i had to uh, go across town I'm on 235, treacherous place to drive when the, when the pavement is dry. 
There's a group of us coming up. There was a little break. And there's a, a female, a young, younger, young adult, over in the left lane. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, I see her driving perpendicular to all of us. And in the ditch. How many know that you're not supposed to drive that way on 235? I'm talking to my wife and said, I, I got to go. I don't, I don't know what's happening here, but something's out of whack. Now, I don't know what you want to do with that. And I've had troubles and I've been in accidents. and I've had things happen. But I think there are times that God spares us because there's a hedge of protection around us. Is anybody hearing me this morning? If that had been 30 seconds later, she would have T-boned me and we'd have both been in the ditch. About a year and a half ago, I was driving again on 80 on the interstate. Maybe that's the problem. And I have the cruise control on and everybody's driving the speed limit plus extra, you know, generous driving. And I'm just trying to keep up and there's not, it'd been cold and there'd been some snow, but everything looked dry. And as I'm driving along the interstate, all of a sudden, um, my truck starts turning sideways. Cut off the cruise and my rear bumper hits one of those concrete barriers and straightens me out. And as it straightens me out, this vehicle coming up on my side whoo, whizzes by. If I'd not hit that and straightened me out, he'd have T-boned me. Probably at his speed would have rolled my vehicle. You can do whatever you want with that. You can call it dumb luck. I've paid my tithes. And I'm not telling you I won't ever have an accident or something bad won't happen. But God wasn't ready for me to leave this planet. And he put a hedge of protection around me. We will never know. And I don't mean this flippantly. We'll never know how many times a hedge of protection has protected us from loss from the devourer. The first time I learned this, it's an old story. I've told it a lot, but I love to tell it. How many have heard my tomato and tithing story? Anybody heard my tomato one? Thank you. Sam listens. Thank you, Sam. Anyone else? Oh, thank you. How many have not heard it? Oh, great. Thanks. Oh, I'm just so excited right now. I just can't tell you how excited. When Carol and I were first married, we were given free garden space to plant a garden. And I didn't know anything about gardening. When you plant two rows of green beans that are 40 feet long, how many know you don't know anything about gardening? I mean, we had more beans. We could have fed half the state of Iowa with the green beans that came up from that. And uh, I discover you can't give those away unless you pick them, wash them, and snap them. Then people will take them. Otherwise, they won't come get them. Green beans are everywhere. It's kind of like zucchini, only smaller. <laughs> but I did want my tomatoes. And I'd worked on those tomatoes. And I started picking tomatoes. And it was the strangest thing. I'd see this beautiful, ripe tomato. And I'd look at the top. It was bright red. And I'd go to grab it. And the bottom half was eaten. Something was eating it from the bottom up. It was making me really mad. And it was the pastor that we worked for. I went to see him. And I said, what is going on with my tomatoes? You know, I'm going to get a shotgun and blow those mice up. Whatever. I don't know what it is. What's eating those? He said, I don't know either. But have you paid your tithes? Yes. He said, then stand out in the garden and rebuke the devourer. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. You're the boss. So I walked out there and I just took a stand. And I said, devil, I have paid my tithes and you're devouring the fruit of my ground. And I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Leave my tomatoes alone. And I felt stupid. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, I didn't lose a single tomato after that moment. I'm just telling you. It was an altar moment for me. I guess the angels set out mousetraps or chipmunks or something, whatever was eating those. But I'm telling you, that's how it works. There are times that God protects and you have to take a stand. It sets a hedge of protection around you. When you tithe, God will rebuke the devourer. Let me give you one more story. I read about a man who had just become a believer. He just started doing correspondence, Bible courses. Pastor came to have Bible studies with us. 
And when he heard about mom, the mother, he brought along two other pastors and they anointed her and prayed over her. She was really, really sick. That time I was working nights, had to work Saturday evenings. Each night when I came home from work, my wife Joan and I would pray for mom. One night we prayed for her and I commented that we had been asking God to do something for us to heal mom, but God had asked us to do something for him we were not doing. Joan asked me what it was, so I read to her from the book of Malachi where God talks about paying the tithe, and he said he would rebuke the devourer. So Joan and I agreed we would pay tithe. At that time, we were living in a humble financial circumstances, but that night we went to sleep happier than I'd been in a long time. However, the next morning, we woke to mother's screams. She'd been home from the hospital for just one week and her stitches had burst open. Fortunately, we had a neighbor who was a nursing, uh, uh, was a nurse. I ran for her. She immediately called the doctor, arrived in minutes. The doctor said it was a rare thing for them to see stitches a week old burst but if they hadn't burst, mom would have been dead in two hours. Immediately I thought about the verse I'd read the night before, that God would rebuke the devourer. Mom amazed medical people by living for another 50 years. I'm not telling you that if you tithe, mom will live. I am telling you that when you tithe, you've demonstrated your loyalty and you have the confidence to take a stand against the devourer. How many are hearing me this morning? It's a hedge of protection around you. So giving solidifies your stand. Giving defends your stand. And giving, third, opens up a supernatural window of blessing over you. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there'll not be room enough to receive it. Tithing is a storehouse principle. It's not 10% of your income given to various um, charities or various needs. I had someone say, yeah, I tithe. I give 10% to my grandkids. Well, then they're your storehouse and they're your God and that's who you worship. What is a storehouse? It's where you receive nourishment. It's where your life is blessed. It's where you're encouraged. It's where you're strengthened. That 10% goes to that place. For a while, my mother was de-churched. She couldn't find a church where she felt like she could uh, plug in. And she was listening online. And she was tithing to the church I was pastoring. And I talked to her about that and said, I'm appreciative, but you need a local church that you're engaged in community and that's where your tithe needs to go, where you're invested. It's an old story. I read it from the guy that says it happened to him, but had a lady in his church who gave 5% of her tithe to the church and 5% to Oral Roberts Ministries. She got sick and had to go to Tulsa and they're about, they're about two hours away from Tulsa. And said, Pastor, I don't have anyone to take me. And I've got to go to the hospital in Tulsa. Will you take me there? And he said, sure, I will. And she got in the car and they drove an hour. And he stopped at a little, uh, little road stop area. And he said, now I want you to call Oral and see if he'll come get you and take you the rest of the way. Now I'm not talking anything negative of Oral Roberts. I'm just saying that it's the storehouse principle. It's not just 10% generosity. It's 10% storehouse. How many are hearing me? Well, this sounds pretty self-serving. Believe that if you want, but you've just showed me the level of your greed. I'm not doing this for my benefit. I don't get a percentage of the offerings. So then, when you do that, God says he will bless you. He will pour out a blessing. He will open the windows of heaven. The NIV says it this way. He will throw open the floodgates of heaven not just a window but the floodgates some uh, I was two or three years ago I gave a copy of um, Robert Morris's book on the blessed life to everyone that wanted one and they had to um, give me a one-page report and if you weren't here then and you want a copy of Robert Morris's book the blessed life I'll give you one free you just have to give me a paragraph of how it spoke to your life just contact the office we'll get you a copy and you can respond back to me and here's what I heard over and over and over again we weren't tithing didn't feel like we could didn't feel like we could afford to do that. And so we were going to kind of incrementally work our way into that. 
But I read the book and decided, let's try it and see what God does. Do you know there's very few times that God says, put me to the test. Very few times that he says that. But with your giving in Malachi, he says, test me. Put me to the test and see what I will do when you begin to tithe. Because God loves to bless the lives of people who are faithful with their finance. I've um, offered this challenge. If you don't want Robert Morris's book, I've offered this challenge. It's a standing challenge. If you're not a tither and you'll start tithing at the end of a year, if God hasn't blessed you abundantly above the tithe, we'll refund every dime that you gave. I'm that confident that his word is true. And I've offered that challenge for decades. And I've never given a dime back because I've never met a t- someone who started tithing that God didn't open the floodgates of heaven. If his word isn't true, we're all sunk. Hello? But God will open the floodgates. Blessings come from places you can't imagine that you never dreamed of. And then you'll hit a drought and you'll say, well, this tithing thing isn't working. You see, that's where God is going to grow you because tithing isn't about giving to get. Tithing is about giving to get to give some more. And it's not about you building up your own storehouse. We do it because it's right, not because of a reward. But when you do it because it's right, you will receive the reward. He'll open the floodgates of heaven. More than financial in so many, many ways. I love uh, fundraisers where pledges are taken for people to give. And I was at one a number of years ago and uh, they're taking pledges for a Bible school and people were standing up and giving money and one guy stood up and said, I'll give $1,000 and, and they wrote that down and people clapped and about 10 minutes went by and more money's being raised. And about, about that time he stood up again. And he said, not only will I give $1,000, I'm going to give the $1,000 I pledged last year and didn't give. At least he had the integrity to admit it because it's not based on the emotion of a moment. It's based on the reliability of the word and knowing that when I give, what will happen? I'm taking a stand. Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give, I'm taking a stand. And when I have prayed, I've heard from God. When I've fasted, I've crucified my flesh. When I've given, I've put my, myself in a place where I've demonstrated my allegiance. I've put myself in a place where God puts a hedge of protection around me. And only what gets through that hedge comes through for my good. Do you know you go through a trial sometimes for your good? A hedge is around me and he opens the windows above me. What does giving do? It solidifies your stand. It defends your stand. And it empowers your stand. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come lost track you always try to figure out where he's at one of these times he's going to zip line from the balcony (laughs) I feel like I should give (laughs) an altar call for tithing and I'm not going to do that I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and repent of your evil deeds (laughs) I'm not going to do that I'm going to say if you've never read Robert Morris's book The Blessed Life we will give you a copy but you have to agree to read it and give me a report afterwards. Or if you want to take me up on the challenge, Pastor, I'm going to take you up on the, on the tithing challenge. How long is that challenge? That challenge doesn't last a week. It lasts a year. You give for a year, and if God hasn't blessed you abundantly above, we'll give it all back. Because if we're going to be prepared to take a stand, we need to pray. We need to fast. And we need to have our finances in order because you cannot serve God and mammon. Would you stand with me? And all I'm going to ask this morning is um, that you would say, God, because I got one more story. Can I share one more story? Thank you. Watch the time. I'm good. Giving is such an important part of spiritual warfare and spiritual growth. And tithing is the beginning of generosity. In fact, I'm convinced 
you haven't touched generosity until you've tithed. And then you give beyond that. Lesson I learned when I was in our first church as um, youth pastors. We were trying to raise missions dollars. Couldn't raise a missions budget. It was stuck. So the pastor got a piece of poster board and a ruler and he made a big spreadsheet. And he put on the back bulletin board in the auditorium everybody's name that was giving to missions and what they gave a month. <laughs> uh, I would, I don't have the guts to try to do that. And I looked at what we were doing and I talked to Carol and I said, I'm a, we weren't hardly making anything, but we were tithing. And I looked about the amount we were giving to missions and I, we talked about that. It's like, I can't put that number up there. We have to increase it. And it's been my commitment, and normally I have to ask Carol, are you sure we're just supposed to give that much? Um, but that I would never again raise my giving out of embarrassment. I'd raise my giving out of faith. And I can tell you again and again and again. I've looked back at situations and thought, God, how did we do that financially? I can't tell you. But I can tell you if he can take care of the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes don't wear out, he can take care of you, oh, ye of little faith. And I'm in that number. I'm not, I'm just saying to you, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want to test me? Where do you want me to grow? in my giving. Would you just ask him that? And let him turn the floodlight on your finances for just a few minutes as we worship him this morning. Cause you are the true joy giver The Savior in all I do I once was lost until I found you No matter what life throws at my way The heartache, the hurt, and all the pain I will say this season
last time and everything. lives be lived in such a way that in everything you are praised. Amen. If you love the Lord and believe in joyful giving, let me hear your hands. On a practical side, you, um, your generosity has been overwhelming and for that we are very, very grateful. So this message didn't come out of a need for money. It came out of a need of making sure we've done everything we know to do to take a stand. We have a number of missionaries that come before our missions team and missions giving ebbs and flows and that's above your tithe. But we made a decision at our meeting Thursday to add, um, and we'll have more um, information. I wanna introduce the couple to you. But she grew up here at Berean until about seven years old and, and we wanna take care of Berean kids. Amen. We're going to take care of brain kids. We're going to make sure they get on the field and do our best to support them. And so I'd already made it, I mean, I already knew what our missions team would do, but I asked him when I met over lunch, what do you want us to do? And he had this number, and, and uh, so we talked about that a little bit. Well, we made a significant monthly commitment that we make to brain kids, a significant monthly commitment. And I sent that to him, and I got this email back, and he said, you just blew our socks off. And when I read that, I'm just telling you, church, God is ready to blow your socks off. Test him and see and watch the great things he will do. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Encourage someone today. In the name of Jesus. I told Steve.